I'm Tavis Smiley. That's Quincy Jones. I know Corita, one of my favorite tracks from Q. Quincy Jones celebrates his 90th birthday this week, and so all three hours of today's program, we are celebrating the musical, the rich musical legacy of Quincy Delight Jones, now 90 years young. We love you, Q. And we are celebrating you all day today, all three hours of this program on KBLA Talk 1580. In this hour, a conversation about racial identity, beauty politics, and the perception of blackness as both identity and lived reality to understand the diversity of what it means to be black in the U.S. and around the world. Joined in this hour by a scholar, Dr. Yaba Blay, for that conversation. Dr. Blay, good to have you on. How are you today? Good to be on. I'm well, thank you. How are you feeling? If I complained I'd be an ingrate, I'm doing well. Delighted to have you on. Glad we got an hour. A lot to talk about. Let's jump right in. Let me let me start okay. with, with with this big question and we can uh we can we can focus uh, and uh, more through the out as we move through the hour. Um is there a difference between being black in the US and being black in the diaspora? You know, I think there are there is a diversity in blackness, absolutely, because we have a diversity of experiences across the diaspora. Um, the question of blackness always starts, though, with what is blackness and what is it that we consider blackness? And I think different people have different ideas about what that is. Yeah. Um, let me ask you what you uh, say blackness is. And I want to talk more broadly about what it means that we have different definitions to that term. But for Dr. Yaba Blay, when you say uh, blackness, you mean by that what exactly? So black, capital B. <laughs> to mm-hmm. to distinguish between the color, lowercase b, mm-hmm. um, and the people and the lived experience, I think there are a lot of ways to think of it. But for me, I use black as a political identity, right? Mm-hmm. And so my background, I am a first-generation Ghanaian born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So technically, I am, air quotes, African-American. But I choose to identify as black, capital B, because I think it connects me, it better connects me with folks who are of African descent across the world and throughout the diaspora. I think of blackness as a political identity, simply saying that there are negotiations of power at play, depending upon the language that we use to self-identify. So I always ask the question, or I always want us to think about what is the function of the the terms that we use to identify. So for me, blackness serves a function. It serves a function to connect me with other people who are also black. I'm 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 sort of giggling uh, in the studio because when you said black with a capital B, uh, this mm-hmm. this won't surprise you. But I've I've authored some 24 books or whatever and all kinds of other articles in the course of my career, and I've had to fight with editors here and there mm-hmm. and tell them if they didn't do it my way, it wasn't going to get done if they wanted me to write the piece. And, and and my rule is that when I talk to when I use the word black in, in reference to us, um, always capitalize the B. Uh, Absolutely. And as you well know, in grammar in English, that's not necessarily the way it ought to be done. Uh, but I insist yeah. every time I write the word black, uh, my staff knows that, my team knows that, my editors have known that, uh, my colleagues know that. Whenever you see me write the word black, I don't care what the English rules are, it will be capitalized. Uh, the B will be when I write the word black. That means something to me. Uh, I hear it, uh, in your voice. It must mean something to you. I've given you my perspective. What's your perspective on making that capital B a capital B? Making that B rather a capital B. 
Listen, I'm with you, right? Mm. I remember having to, in, in, in academic journals, in the book, um, I've had to fight with editors like you. I've had to make an explicit footnote, for example. And I was always offended at the idea that I had to explain why I was capitalizing the B when I was speaking about myself and when I was speaking about my people, right? Like mm. one of the first lessons we learn in grammar is that you capitalize things that are important, right? Mm-hmm. Proper nouns. Blackness is important to me. Mm-hmm. Black people are important to me. And so for me, if, how do you distinguish between the people and the lived experience and the culture and the history and something that's in a crayon box? Mm-hmm. I think we, 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 you know what I mean? We deserve <laughs> to, at the very least, be capitalized. Now it tends to be a common rule, but there are lots. This is another thing. I'm, I'm always interested in our curiosities, and I'm always interested in why people do what they do. And I understand that there are many conversations that are taking place now. There are some folks who, like us, absolutely capitalize the B, but will not capitalize the W in white, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. So I'm interested to understand, right, why it is we do what we do and what decisions that we make. I capitalize both, the B and the W, to distinguish between the colors. Nope, I hear that. I hear that. The other thing that is one of my pet peeves, um, since you got me started, (laughs) 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 you got me going now. One of my other pet peeves is when people um, use the word blacks and they stop. I, I hate that. I hate when people say blacks. Now, we know... When, when folks say the blacks, that's punitive. That's pejorative, right? It's pejorative sure. when, they, when they say the blacks. But I don't like it when black people say blacks. We're not blacks. We're either black people. We're black Americans. Mm. We're black citizens. Mm. We black something. Mm. Don't just use the word black. We're not just blacks. We have to. That does not speak to our humanity. We got to be black something. That's one of my pet peeves, mm. though, Dr. Blair. That's just me. Mm. No, no, I hear that. And it's something I've never actually even thought about. I hear you. I I hear the the punitive tone when other folks say the black, right? Um, But I never considered that. And I honestly don't know that I've heard it that often. Yeah. No, people, you know, the people, they they will write it. You'll say, you know, blacks, for example, blacks make up this percentage of this. Mm, Blacks do mm -hmm. this. Blacks this. But you see it in print all the time. And as a result okay. of seeing it in print so much, we we take that on, and we 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 it becomes part of our our, our dialogue and our uh, and our dialect. And so I encourage all those blacks who are listening right now to just <laughs> just just consider in your language. Don't use the word blacks. Give give us give us some humanity. Black people, uh, black citizens, uh, black yeah. whatever, black doctors, black lawyers, but not just yeah. blacks. Uh, and even though we say that word and don't mean it in a punitive or pejorative sense, I think we can do better than that. That's just my peeve. Uh, when we come forward with Dr. Yaba Blay in this hour, we'll continue our conversation about racial identity, about beauty politics. Uh, and I want to come to this point that she raised a moment ago, which I'm fascinated to get to as quickly as I can. And that is the notion that that that, that black being black is not just a personal reality. It is, in fact, a political reality. I'm not so sure that being anything other than us in this country is necessarily on demand uh, a political reality. But certainly being black in this country is a political reality beyond just being a personal reality. We'll unpack that in a great deal more as we continue with Dr. Yaba Blay on KBLA Talk 1580, celebrating the rich musical legacy of Quincy Jones, who produced the soundtrack for The Color Purple. Continuing this hour, our conversation uh, about uh, racial identity, about beauty politics, the perception of blackness as both identity and lived reality as we talk about the diversity of what it means to be black in this country and around the globe. And that's not always the same thing. Our guest is scholar, activist, public speaker, consultant and more. 
author, Dr. Yaba Blay. Uh, Dr. Blay, back to this issue that you raised uh, moments ago uh, about the fact that race, being black in particular, is not just a personal reality, it is a political reality. I've been thinking in the, uh, in the few moments uh, during that break that we had about whether or not there's any other constituency, any other group of fellow citizens in this country for whom that that statement is as true as it is for us, that race or uh, uh, that uh, your, your skin color, uh, your nationality is not just a uh, personal reality, but a political reality. I think it's fair to say that for many of our Latino brothers and sisters, um, it's a political and personal reality for them as well, but not necessarily in the same way it has been historically in this country for black people. Talk to me about that, please. I mean, it can be. I think just to, to, to bring us back before we move forward is to say, what is race? Mm-hmm. Right. I think many of us take race as a, you know, we take it for granted as an identity. What we have to know first and foremost is that the only function of race is to support racism. Mm. What else do we need to categorize people for? Mm. And at the origin, that what that's what race was created for, to support racism, to ultimately separate everyone else from whiteness, to isolate power in the hands of whiteness. And so all these other categories are to, just to distinguish from whiteness, just to keep power away from other folks, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So now when we start, you mentioned Latino, folks who are Latinx. Mm-hmm. Latinx is not a race, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because you can have both white and black and mixed race and other within whatever has been designated as Latin America. And again, the designation of Latin America was not created by Latin Americans themselves. Mm -hmm. It was created by Europeans for the purpose of isolating power. So again, we take so many of these categories, so many of these identities, they are projected onto us and we take them as is. I think we need to be questioning those things. We need to be questioning, again, what does it mean to be whatever it is we identify as, and why do we identify as such? What is the function of that identity? Mm. I want to talk about that in a moment, the function of, uh, of identity. Um, but uh, you're, you're returning the favor. You said moments ago that uh, you hadn't thought about my notion of the word blacks without something that follows it. Uh, and mm-hmm. now you're making me think. I have never, in all the conversations I've had about race, and you can imagine uh, doing this for a few decades now on radio and television. I've talked to a thousand people, uh, thousands, sure. thousands over the course of sure. these years about 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 the issue of race. Uh, this audience knows I say it all the time to my mind. Racism is probably the most intractable issue in this country. That's my own assessment of it. But I've never mm-hmm. quite heard it put the way you just put it. And I'm 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 sitting here with my eyes uh, uh, toward the, <laughs> t- toward the heavens trying to process this in real time. And that is this notion mm-hmm. you just advanced. That the only, the singular function of race is to support racism. I want to interrogate that, but I, I, I admit I ain't ready yet to interrogate it. because I, I, don't, I don't know that you're wrong about that, but I wonder if you might unpack that a bit more and convince me that you're right uh, and that I should see things your way uh, when it comes to race uh, and, and its only function being to support racism. Well, I think about it, let's think about it even in the context of my book, mm-hmm. right, One Drop. And, mm-hmm. and part of the, what I did in the historical introduction is to talk about the One Drop rule, which essentially says that one drop, as little as one drop, however which way you can quantify that, as little as one drop was enough to make a person black, right? Mm-hmm. Said differently, that one drop kept a person 
from being white? What was the function of even creating that rule in the first place? Again, it was to isolate power in the hands of whiteness. Historically, we, of course, know, right, during the history of enslavement and colonization, that there were clear lines between who was European and who was African, clear lines between who was white and who was black, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Those lines started blurring, of course, because European enslavers were raping African women. And so then we had mixed-race children being the product of that. The question became, what do we do with those children and which side of the line are they on? Are they on the side of whiteness or are they on the side of blackness? So we need to come up with clear definitions that can be unquestionable. So there's no question about who has power. And this is where we start getting all these definitions, all these uh, categories, if you will, of identity. And at the time, we're talking specifically about white, and they were using all kinds of language, Negro, colored, other. But again, it was for the express purposes, really, of defining whiteness. They didn't really care what blackness was. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't really care what otherness was. They wanted to be clear about what whiteness was so they could determine who had access to it. So the only function, again, give me another reason. Why do we need race? Mm. No, you got me. We you, can talk about culture. Yeah, no. Nope. We can talk about nationality and, and, and geographical identities, but tell me what we need to do with race. No, you got me thinking. Uh, I'm going to think the rest of the hour as hard as I can. It's hard to it's hard to think and and conduct and sure, moderate sure. a conversation sure. simultaneously. But you got my mind going, and maybe uh, some of our listeners will call me or, or email, text me, tell me something uh, that I can offer as as an answer to that question about whether what other function there is of race other than to support racism. I'll be noodling that the rest of the day and, and the days to come. Trust me, you got me uh, you got me wide open on that one. So, let, let, so let, let, me, let me pivot. We may get back to that. Let me pivot, though, to this. Um, identity. So if the only function of race is to support racism, um, then why does identity matter, period? Well, we live in a racialized world now, mm-hmm. right? In, in utopia, we'd be able to say, oh, let's just throw it all away and let's be human. Well, that's not the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So now that we've been given this reality, how do we play the game, as it were, right? And so in this moment, again, though I can say the only function of race is racism, I'm not suggesting that, oh, we should just throw it away and let's all be human, because, again, that's not the reality you have. So now that we've been given this reality, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. Again, for me, blackness in this context is a political reality. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard, Talis, because I don't, I think part of our struggle, if that's the word I want to use within our community, is that we're so often looking to whiteness. We're so often looking to how white people do and how white people have done to determine what our moves are going to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they should necessarily be the model, Mm -hmm. right? But I always think about the fact that, again, thinking of that history and even thinking of this contemporary reality, white folks are clear about who's white and who's not. Mm -hmm. Are we? Mm-hmm. Do we need to be? And so these are the kinds of questions. Again, I don't have answers as much as I'm trying to push us to have questions because too often we don't question mm-hmm. and we just take what is given to us. And I think that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So for me, in this context, I think it's more dangerous for us to have all of these different categories uh, uh, of identity that are ultimately black, right? Because we're not able then to organize and to be clear about who's in the game if there is a game. So, again, I could be walking around here saying, no, I'm Ghanaian, I'm not black. Or you have folks who say, no, I'm Dominican, I'm not black. I'm Jamaican, I'm not black. And we talk about these other national and and, and cultural identities. But they are not mutually exclusive. I'm Ghanaian and I'm black, right? So for me, blackness is the larger umbrella under which we all fall politically. Mm. 
Um, I've only been, let me just uh, detour right quick here. I've only been to 16 African countries. I got a lot more to get to. I've only been to 16. But can I just tell you, of the 16 I've been to, the Ghanaian people are the nicest folk on the on the continent. That's of course, my, that's, of my, that's my assessment. <laughs> I, I, I know I'll get in trouble for saying that, but the Ghanaian people are the absolute nicest people on the continent of Africa. I, I, I love the Ghanaian people. I had a great time um, uh, all over the continent, but the Ghanaian people are just so uh, so so kind, so generous, so Thank charitable, you. so sweet. I, I have to say that that's my own assessment. I, again, I'm sure others will disagree, but that's how I feel <laughs> about the Ghanaian people. Back to this notion of questions. I, 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 your, your mind works the same way mine does in this regard. And that won't surprise you. I'm a talk show host, right? So my mind yeah. is always processing questions. When it comes to the issues that we're discussing now, race and identity, uh, and you're pushing us to ask questions, what kind of questions ought we be asking um, individually, collectively, you tell me, in this regard, what, what, what are we not asking questions about? We're not asking questions about uh, language, mm-hmm. right? So even we started the hour talking about whether or not to capitalize the B. Right. There are some folks who just, whatever the rules, quote-unquote rules of the English language are, they're just going to follow them. Mm-hmm. I'm saying ask those questions. So we're not asking questions about language. Language is important to me. So, you know, now my mind is spinning. I'm thinking of historically there was a time where I use black now. You may use black. There was a time historically, generationally speaking, where a lot of black people saw blackness as a a, a, a negative term. Mm-hmm. So they were prouder to say colored, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time where folks were prouder to say Afro-American, now mm-hmm. prouder to say African-American. There are folks who still see black as a negative term. But for the folks who use African-American, I would ask the question, why? Is it because folks are now telling you that's a more politically correct language to use? Or because that's something you actually identify with. Do you actually identify as someone who has both African and American influences in their identity? I'm not sure that's something that people think about. Again, this notion of political correctness, whatever the the census boxes are, there's so many people, for example, folks who say Hispanic. (laughs) What's that mean? Mm -hmm. Do you just take it because someone else? and, and, And that someone else is usually white. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Yep. So, like, why, why do you do, why do you think, why do you say, why do you identify the way that you do? And these are things, again, that I just think folks take without, without thinking about. Yep. Me, I'm somebody who's going to question everything. So even the language, even though I do this work, the language of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push back and get us to see that, you know, that language ultimately supports white supermacy, Right. <laughs> hold, 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 hold up, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I thought you just said the language of D-E-N-I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which everybody uses these days, I thought I heard her say it supports white supremacy. If I heard that correctly, I can promise you we're going right there after news, traffic, and sports. I also want to talk about what it means and to, to her mind that we've gone through, the only race that's gone through all these changes Negro, colored, black, Afro-American, African-American. What does all that mean? A lot more to unpack when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports with Dr. Yaba Blay on KBLA Talk 1580. Continue our conversation now with our guest in this hour, Dr. Yaba Blay, talking about the perception of blackness as both identity and lived reality. Uh, this conversation is getting richer by the minute, and uh, I wanted to rush back 
uh, from news, traffic, and sports to get right to these two issues that she teed up uh, moments ago that I want to give her a chance to unpack for us. Uh, Dr. Blake, I thought I heard you say, and my, my ears are pretty good, and, and I got headphones on. So I thought I, thought I heard you uh, offer a critique of DE&I. Did I not? You did hear that. Yes, you did. All right. G- give, give it to me. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to hear this. I believe the thing that I said is even the language that we use of diversity, equity, and inclusion is ultimately supporting white supremacy, right? Mm. Um, And again, are we thinking critically about the language that is given to us? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Everything is is positioned in relation to whiteness. Whiteness remains the, the, the center. And so diverse compared to what? We act as if there is not diversity within whiteness any diversity becomes a code word for quote-unquote people of color that's another term that i would ask us to think critically about right Mm -hmm. because it presumes that everyone who is not white has the same relationship to whiteness or that there is something common among people who are not white the only commonality is that we're not white whiteness is still a center okay Mm -hmm. there's diversity within whiteness jewish folks weren't always considered white in this country The Irish weren't always considered white in this country. Italians weren't always considered white in this country. I remember working at a predominantly white institution years ago in a diversity, equity, and inclusion type of position. And and the operation was always that, well, let's go out into urban areas to recruit students of color. That was their diversity plan. My retort was, why don't you go and recruit a different kind of white person, a different white student? Y'all keep getting the same affluent, you know, white students from affluent areas. Why don't you go get working class white students? That's a diversity in that. Mm. So we don't recognize diversity really just even by definition. We use the language of equity. Equitable with whom? White folks. We use the language of inclusion. Included in what? (laughs) Whiteness. You see what I'm saying? And so Mm -hmm. it's all ultimately still centering whiteness. And then when I think of inclusion, it's almost like this white bowl. And you just want to sprinkle some color in there. And that becomes inclusion. What is the purpose of that? What is the function of that for whose benefit? It's almost like we're still operating as if there is a benefit for black folks, for folks who are not white, to be included with whiteness. Something to think about. No, yeah, you say that again. (laughs) That's the mother of all understatements. (laughs) Yeah, something to think about. You got my my brain twisted now. Uh, I've I've had my own critique of DE&I, particularly the E, uh, but I'd never thought about the the critique uh, uh, holistically the way you have of DE and I. My critique of the E has been that America don't want to talk about equality in a real sense, much less equity. Right. And as you certainly know, right. equality and equity are not the same things. And Absolutely. so we, we, we throw this term around DE and I. And, and, and again, we're not even serious about equality yet. That, but we, we right. at least we give more lip service to that. But America right. ain't nowhere near a real conversation about equity in this country, Dr. Blake. Absolutely. No, I agree. One hundred, one thousand percent, because what that would mean, it would mean, what are you willing to give up mm-hmm. <laughs> so exactly. that there actually can be equity? That's and right. they're not trying to give up nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think, think about it. For those of you listening right now, think about it in that way. We use that term all the time, diversity, equity and inclusion. 
Uh, corporate America has embraced that term. Black folk have embraced that term. I mean, you break it down as she just did, the D, the E, and the I. But if you can't keep up with all three, just take the one in the middle, <laughs> the equity. Uh, right. e- equity means equity means meeting people where they are. It doesn't mean that everybody gets the same thing. Equality, we all get the same thing. Equity is right. you meet the need of the person where they are. But her point is to, to, to engage in equity, somebody got to give something up. And so unless you really believe that they want to give something up uh, so that we can live in a more equitable society, then why are we spitting out this term D-E-N-I like they really want to do they they really want to sacrifice something? And again, you think about it in that way, it does. And that's why this program is here. That's why the station is here to interrogate uh, the language that we use. And that takes us all the way back to her comment earlier in this conversation that we have to be willing to ask tough questions. Uh, I put it this way, hard questions that require heart answers hard questions that require hard answers the other thing i want to come to right quick here um is this notion that we all are fully aware of we've this is our lived experience but Uh we're the only group of folk in this country who have gone through as many name changes you know we went from we went from facebook to meta okay i get that we went from (laughs) felt express to fedex i get that but black folk have gone from we don't we don't gone from negro from from mm-hmm. colored to Negro mm-hmm. to black mm-hmm. to Afro American to African American, what is mm-hmm. that about? And and how do we? I mean, seriously, all jokes aside, how do we read the fact that where our identity is concerned, we've gone through so many iterations trying to figure out what works, what fits for us? Again, those changes I think are reflective of whatever is happening at the time. We also have to recognize that it really wasn't until recently. Let's give credit to Jesse Jackson. <laughs> Well, we actually started being in control of that naming, Mm, right? Again, for a lot of history, we were just following what was projected onto us. It wasn't our doing. It wasn't our naming. Um, But all of those terms, again, I don't know that we've been thinking critically about it. I don't know that we have sat with ourselves to actually make a determination about what is it that I want to name myself. I'll say this, and it's one of the things and one of the reasons why I approached the research in my book the way that I did. One thing that I was fascinated by is that folks whose identity is usually called into question because they don't, quote unquote, look black. Mm -hmm. They actually take a lot of time to think about how they are going to identify. What language are they going to use in a way to quell those questions, right? And so you got folks who are identifying as Afro-Cuban, mixed race, biracial, black Puerto Rican, uh, black Latina, Latinx. People are being very conscious of what terms they use. And I don't know that that's the same for those of us who are unquestionably black, mm-hmm. right? Our mm-hmm. blackness is a taken for granted. So we don't have to think about what language I'm going to use necessarily unless we are being deliberate about understanding our political position in this country and in this world. Yeah. Dr. Yaba Blade's book is called One Drop, Shifting the Lens of Race. One Drop, Shifting the Lens of Race is her text that I highly recommend. We'll continue our conversation with her when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Yes, that is Quincy Jones as well. (laughs) It's called Soul Bossa Nova. Uh, You probably know it from the Mike Myers films, Austin Powers. Uh, And in one of those films, at the very beginning, uh, in the opening credits, you see uh, Mike Myers dancing with Quincy Jones. Uh, so Q appeared in the opening of one of those films. There have been a few of them. Uh, yeah, that's Q, too. <laughs> so Bossa Nova. I tell you, this, this Negro, I, I tease Q all the time. 
He's done everything. He has done everything. His imprint is undeniable. And we are celebrating this uh, day, the 90th birthday this week of Quincy Delight Jones and all that he has done in this rich musical legacy. We continue now our conversation with Dr. Yaba Blay. Uh, Dr. Blay, um, I want to come back to this. I'm watching my time here. Uh, you mentioned the census, and I wanted to go there anyway. So you are, you're not only uh, 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 brilliant, but you're prophetic and prescient. So you knew I wanted to go there, and you raised it already. <laughs> this notion of the census. Um, I don't need to color this question much more than this, but what is your read on the way over the years, this is your space, the way we've seen the questions change on the census when it comes to race? And identity. Again, I I just question folks. What is it that folks really understand about race, and what is it that we're trying to quantify, and why? Mm-hmm. Those are all political lines. Those numbers. Again, let me come back to language. The language of minority serves what function? I think it's an impressive function for those of us who actually, quote-unquote, represent minorities. Because if you are here in this country looking at the numbers and the stats and saying, okay, we're only 13% or whatever percent it is of, of the population in this country, we're actually part of the global majority, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, in the world. That, that's going to do something to your psyche. Mm-hmm. That's going to do something to how you move through the world. If you move through the world thinking you're a minority, that's going to have particular impact on your behavior and on your thoughts as opposed to knowing Mm -hmm. that you're part of the global majority. So the language on the census, for example, honestly, if I'm 100% honest, I really think it shifts and changes because folks don't want to get called racist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Folks don't want to get in trouble. Not because it actually represents a reality, a lived reality for the folks who represent those boxes, but more so like, oh, y'all calling yourself Latinx now? Like, there's so many people who use the language of Latinx, for example. Mm-hmm. Ask them, what was that? Why? Why not Latino or Latina? Do you understand what the X stands for? No. But they don't want to get in trouble, and that's what all of y'all are saying. So let me go on and say it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if folks are actually thinking critically about those terms. Mm-hmm. Nope, I hear you loud and clear. Uh, when we come forward in our remaining moments with Dr. Yaba Blay, it's taken me all of uh, an hour, but I think, um, I'm sure she'll smack me down, but I think I have at least one answer, uh, one answer uh, to why, uh, to the question that we raised earlier, she raised earlier, uh, asking us to consider what is the purpose of race, if not to advance a notion or an agenda uh, of racism? What is the real purpose of race if 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 not to advance, you know, um, some egregious act of racism uh, against you? I think I've got one answer. I'm going to try it out when we come forward on KBLA Talk. Dr. Dr. Yaba Blay on KBLA Talk 1580. She is a scholar, activist, speaker, consultant, uh, author uh, of the book One Drop Shifting the Lens on Race. One Drop Shifting the Lens on Race. We've been talking all hour about various curiosities, and uh, she uh, uh, piqued my curiosity when she suggested earlier in this hour that we should cons- we should consider what the function of race is. We talked about first, what is blackness? And then she said uh, the only function of race is to support racism. She threw that thing down with fierce force, that the only, <laughs> the only function of race is to support racism. And I've been noodling that the entire hour. So here's, here's my retort, uh, the only one I have. Um, I grant you at the at the outset here. I, I grant you, Doctor Blay, that this is how might I put it? It's a post-racial reality, which may very well be the hole in my argument. But but here's, here's my point: if we don't collect data in real time in late modernity, if we don't collect data based on race, then how do we know the ways in which black folk are being held back simply because of the melanin 
in their skin. That's my one shot. That's all I got for you. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. And I agree with you. And again, my point is, it's not to say throw race away necessarily. I'm saying understand what it is. Right. So it can be, this is the reality we live in, but let's go internally now. Let's lock all the white people out the room. Mm -hmm. It's just a meeting of black folks. What are we, y'all, and why? So if we take their identity of race and put it outside with them, how are we identifying? And I see that more as about culture and history mm -hmm. than about race. Yeah. Yeah. That's much more nuanced and much more rich and, and, and much more reflective of our lived reality than race. Yeah. Um, I close with this. Uh, as we move ever closer to that day where for the first time in this nation, uh, and I know these terms uh, uh, are not terms you use, but we in, in the discourse use the term majority minority. You already smacked mm -hmm. us down earlier about that. <laughs> but people refer people refer to this impending day uh, as a, as a, as a moment where for the first time in this country, we will be a majority minority nation um, in your in your own language. Uh, I'm sure you'll answer it. Uh, but what say you about where what am I trying to ask here? Where is this conversation going organically, uh, uh, dynamically? Where is this conversation going? going in the coming years as we reach that point in America? I've actually not thought about that point because I don't know if that is ultimately the goal. For me, the goal is dismantling white supremacy because I'm thinking of myself as part of a global community. Right. So it's not just isolated to what's happening in this country. Mm -hmm. And if I think broader, it's bigger than the numbers in this country, and it's more about the ideology of white supremacy and the ways in which, again, we continue to isolate power in the hands of white people all over the world. That's the thing I'm fighting against. That's the thing I think we need to be thinking about in terms of a future so that when it comes to identity, then, again, the function of my blackness is to organize, is to strategize, is to see myself in community and in familial relationships with other people of African descent all over the world. It's very Pan-African at its origins and, that, and at its foundation. And that's how you close the show. We'll leave it right there. Dr. Yaba Blay, uh, author of the book One Drop, Shifting the Lens on Race, scholar, activist, brilliant thinker, public intellectual, uh, and a great guest on this program. Dr. Yaba Blay, One Drop, Shifting the Lens on Race. Dr. Blay, good to have you on. We'll do it again somewhere down the road. Thank you for your time. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My great delight. More of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15A as we celebrate Quincy Jones' 90th birthday this week.